Dying Alive is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Penguin tickets, uh, prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Let's say you're traveling to New York. You're going to go see the Penguins play the Islanders. You're looking to get tickets as soon as you get there. You go to the Game Time app. You're worried that you're going to get one of those crazy basketball seats that gives you a restricted view of the ice. Don't worry because Game Time has in-app panoramic seat view photos from every section in the arena. The app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. So head on over to the App Store or the Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Dying Alive. This week, we're going to talk about the last two weeks with the Penguins, some crazy comebacks, some losses, more injuries, because God knows that's how it works with the Penguins. We'll also talk about the week ahead, and of course, we'll have your correspondences. This is Dying Alive. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Dying Alive podcast. I am Pat Damp of the Pens blog. This week, Jesse's out with another injury because that's how it is when you're around the Penguins. Everybody's hurt. (laughs) (laughs) So just me and our other co-host, Mike Darnay of Pensburg. Mike, seems uh, seems like you're gritting it out this week. Yeah, it's it's that time of year. Sickness going around, holidays, all that. But we'll be all right. Yeah, I don't know if holidays are really an excuse for you being sick. It just seems like that's par for the course. I'm just perpetually sick. Just always battling something. Yeah, yeah. If, if we were doing if we were doing the old uh, Miller versus Marshall awards like they used to do, I think every week you would be getting gritty guy of the week. I appreciate that. I mean, you are. I mean, we we started off the you know the the show with compromised immune systems and damn it if we haven't stayed on brand i was i mean i was very sick for like six months yeah you know it's a shame we don't live in a western society and you can't go get checked out by doctors but you know (laughs) (laughs) it's neither here nor there Uh, so we start with the uh with the bad here talk about how once again it's another penguin season and everybody is hurt or just getting back from being hurt yeah, but at the same time, it feels like it's just another Penguin season in that it doesn't, it's not an excuse, and the team still manages to play fairly well in spite of all the injuries. I'd agree to that. I mean, it definitely feels like it's your usual Penguin season to where somebody that's in your top four defense or your top six forward is going to end up getting hurt, going to be out for a couple weeks, and damned if they don't just keep it rolling. I mean, it's, it hasn't been a bad couple of weeks since we recorded all things considered. I mean, in their last 11, they're six, three and two, which not a bad little stretch for two weeks, not overly impressive, but given some of the names that have been out of the lineup, you know, your Chris Letang, Justin Schultz, Brian Rust, Patrick Hornquist, obviously you still have sit out. It's, it's definitely 
impressive that they're they're in a competitive conference and division right now for the playoff race as we get into December and you actually want to start looking at the standings. So they're, they're keeping their heads above water, which is a which is a really good thing. And you look at some of the teams that they've beaten down this stretch. I mean, you beat the defending champions in St. Louis who look like they're in good position to make a run again. Like they don't look like a one-hit wonder. They look like the same team that won the Stanley Cup. And then you have another win despite them falling after a hot start. They've they had a really impressive comeback win 2 weeks ago against Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I think it speaks a lot to the coaching of the team. I think Sullivan is really getting finally getting the buy-in he's needed after the last year. Yeah, and especially when you have AHL call-ups coming in. I mean, Stefan Mason comes up. He's playing on the power play. He's playing in the top six. Scores a goal in his first game. Even guys like Sam Lafferty, it's like they're they're relied on to produce when they come up, not just to take a roster spot for a couple days. Definitely. I, I think that's also, you know, we we get caught in the weeds a lot talking about how Oh, you know, when it comes to a team like the Penguins, you don't have to you don't have to worry about the farm system when you have Sid and Gino and Latang. But they they similar to their cohorts in the Atlantic Division with Boston, they don't really have any blue chip prospects. You're not looking at guys and saying, you know what, in three, four years when he comes up, he's gonna be a force. But they consistently have one or two guys that come in every year and can reliably step into a, a middle six forward role, a middle pairing defense role. And I think when you have a franchise like the Penguins do in the sense that you have those big name talents, those elite talents, you don't need to be constantly churning out this high end prospect talent, but having guys that can reliably step in when called upon. Yeah, and I think it helps that f- from from what it appears we see that the AHL and NHL coaching staffs and everyone are all on the same page. Yeah, they do a really good job of having basically the same systems in place all throughout the organization. Whether it's Wilkes Bear, Wheeling, same kind, co- and uh, you know the AGMs are really active with the minor league teams. The player development staff is really active with the minor league guys, making sure they're on the right track to get up to the big club and know that they can be relied upon when they get called up to the big club, which is huge. Yeah. So I know we don't like to do a whole lot of game recap, but we definitely got to talk about the comeback game against Vancouver. Like that was, yeah. Cause it more so than the, like the game itself, some of the stuff surrounding it was just absolutely nuts. So it gets announced pregame that the Canucks were initially planning on starting Markstrom, right? He was going to be their starting goalie for the night. He comes to the rink in the morning and he's sick, and they go, oh, we got to play Demko. They got to put Demko in net. So Demko, on not much rest and not expectation, has to start the game. And the Penguins get off to a hot start. They score two goals within 10 minutes of one another in the first period, take a 2-0 lead, and it looks like, okay, a team in the Canucks that's not all that great 
Penguins are going to get a nice little win over them. And then in the last couple minutes of the first period, JT Miller gets on the board. It's 2-1, and you're thinking, nah, no big deal. Should be all right here. Just get out of the period. They do. And then Pedersen takes an unrealistic shot in the second to beat uh, Murray, and it's 2-2, and the wheels just fell off in the the last two minutes, in the last two minutes of the second period. Within about a minute, Jake Vertanen gives them the lead. Gaudette extends it, and it's 4-2, and the Penguins just look lifeless. But for the first time since 2012, believe it or not, Kenny Malkin has a five-point night. Mm-hmm. He assists on both of Gensel and Rust's goal in the first period and then just takes over in the third. He, when he scored to pull the Penguins within one to six to five on the power play, when he wound up for that slap shot, you, you just felt it. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> like he came down the circle, wound up, and you were like, here we go. And he just beats Demko high, puts him within one. And then the biggest thing from that game that stood out to me is, yes, Jake Gensel and Brian Rust each scored. Yes, Malkin scored on the empty net and the power play, and Chris Letang had the, had the go-ahead goal to make it 7-6. But you look at the guys that got them back into the game. Dom Cahoon... Scores assisted from McCann and Pedersen. Zach Aston Reese scores assisted from Marino and Tanev. I think it's safe to say once again this forward group has depth. Yeah, yeah, and it's depth that seemingly wasn't there for a while. And I think that was kind of one of the bigger issues of the last two years is the depth kind of went away. Whether it was the the guys that were there weren't that impressive or just they weren't producing. And now all of a sudden, here we go. You know, guys like Cahoon are chipping in. Guys like Aston Reese are chipping in. Tanev's chipping in. And which brings me to another point that we need to get into that we've talked about a couple times on this podcast. Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah, it's not very good. It's not. And just a few days ago, Rutherford was not exactly nice, one would say. Yeah, it feels like a matter of if but not when. Yeah, and he had a quote when he spoke with, I believe it was Yohi at The Athletic. He basically said... The, f- the quote was, the fact of the matter is, when we're totally healthy, he's going to have to work very hard just to get into the top 12, Rutherford said. And that's just the way it is, because we have a lot of guys playing well. So that's the good news and the bad news. And it's really, really tough to disagree with him on that. Yeah, I, I mean, when <clears throat> when guys like you mentioned, like Cahoon, can't ever playing well, when Jared McCann's playing well, when Sam Lafferty's playing well, where do you make room? And and Jesse and I talked about it last time we recorded 
couple weeks back. The biggest issue, and Mike Sullivan basically said it, was the process isn't even there. Because Mike Sullivan is always good for acknowledging things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, when guys starting to get into slumps or guys aren't producing to the way we expect them to, he will always hit you with that little nugget of truth to say, like, listen, don't just look at the boxcar stats, okay? Don't just look at goals, assists, points. Look at what the guy's doing as a player. Because, yeah. you know, we won't get into it because if you want to get into it, just log on to Twitter. You'll have plenty of uh, ammunition there. It's something I always say with Dom Simone. I will get more concerned about Dominic Simone's lack of production when he stops getting chances. Yeah. I know, I know, and I agree. He needs to score a little bit more. I don't think anybody in their right mind is going to disagree with that. But the process is there for him. He's either getting the puck to, to Gino or Gensel or whoever he's with in prime scoring in prime scoring zones and the same thing goes for him he's getting himself to those open areas and yeah and Mike Mike Sullivan would even go as far to reference a player's play away from the puck and things even when things aren't going well when they're doing those other things well and that's the thing Galchenyuk just has not been doing that and at first I was willing to give him a wider berth just because you knew the burden of expectation on him was going to be ridiculous because of who he got traded for. Mm-hmm. You get traded for one of the best scoring wingers, arguably of the last 20 years in Phil Kessel. That's a large void to fill. You know, I, I brought it up last week or maybe uh, two episodes ago. If you get a chance to talk, to really dig in and look at the impact Phil Kessel has made, Jeff at Penn's blog had a great piece about how part of the reason the power play hasn't been as electric for the Penguins is because they lost the most dynamic quarterback they've had in a long time in Phil Kessel. So it's big shoes to fill, but the process just, it's not there for him. Yeah. And I mean, it is enough to be concerned about when you look at how long it's been. I mean, we're almost into January. Yeah. And the, the biggest, the biggest issue is that, you know, like we said, the process isn't there. And it's just he doesn't look like a factor on certain nights. Like you just wonder what he's doing out there. Yeah. And, and it it's been it's been reflected in his ice time. There's been a lot of games in the third period or overtime where Sullivan just glues him to the bench. And if that if that message isn't resonating, you know, it might be time to to really think about moving on. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens soon. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens soon. I also think um, they're going to be in a prime position to pump and dump them. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to pump his tires. You know, oh, you know, he he's getting good time with good players, and he's doing all the right things, and he's working hard, and yada yada yada. And you send him over to somebody as part of a package, and it becomes it, it becomes a, a little bit of a sweetener to get some cap space out and yeah now if there's if there's one team that i would give a call to for alex galchenyuk right now it's ottawa and i would call them and say how do we do some sort of a galchenyuk for anthony duclair trade 
Yeah, and I mean, when you're talking about that, you're looking at a player you're trying to acquire who's going to need a raise coming, and they're not going to want to do that. So I don't know if the Penguins might need to retain some salary to make it work. Which they definitely could, but you're also looking at a team like Ottawa who's in full, complete rebuild mode. They're not yeah. They're not looking to get anything but early draft picks, which they have a ton coming up this year. Yeah, yeah. They have two they have two in the first round this year, three in the second. And they have overall in twenty twenty eleven picks in the 2020 draft good lord and if you're looking at anthony duclair he makes 1.6 million he's an rfa at the end of the year he's only 24 and on a team that is not playing for anything this year in 31 games he's got 15 goals seven assists for 22 points yeah he's having a good year and since getting traded to ottawa from columbus you know, if you remember when he got traded away, Torts, who has softened quite a bit in the last few years, ripped him. Like, I don't even know if this guy can play hockey. I don't even know if this guy's any good. And I mean, I would love to see that guy play left wing with either with Gino. I think that'd be a hell of a fit. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree. So speaking of players that have impressed no there's not a goaltending controversy we're just having we're just in the midst of having an embarrassment of riches so tonight in a 4-1 losing effort to the montreal canadians tristan jari established the penguins franchise record for longest shutout sequence it's crazy at 173 minutes and six seconds long He's been good. There's no two ways about it, man. He's been, <clears throat> yeah. he, he has been just absolutely lights out for the past couple and weeks. It comes at a time. It comes at a time where he was needed to be good. And and Jesse, our our dear friend on the shelf right now, absolutely hit the nail on the head when he wrote about this uh, uh, last week. The best thing that the <clears throat> Penguins have done with Tristan Jari is patience. Mm -hmm. You know, he really didn't look too much like of a, like a starter when they drafted him. Cause he was still technically a backup in junior. Uh, I think it was, it was like 20 or 25 games. He had basically played in Edmonton when they drafted him. And then the next year after he gets drafted, he starts. He puts up a 9.36 with a 1.61 goals against average, I believe it was, and basically helps Edmonton get to the Memorial Cup. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was a, a case study in that they scouted him well. He performed to the expectation they believed. He's been really good with Wilkes-Barre since he's been down there. And because of cap concerns and where they were with the salary cap going into the year this year, they waived DeSmith. DeSmith's back down in Wilkes-Barre and Jari's backing up. And, you know, with Murray going through a slump right now and injuries left and right, Jari becoming a rock is 
really going to be an underrated storyline on how far this team goes this year. Yeah, if he wasn't playing as well as he was with all the injuries right now, it could have kind of snowballed out of control. And 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 on the other side of the coin, it's a good problem to have because this happens every year with Matt Murray, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to only focus on the fact that he struggled in November and not acknowledge that he was a large part of the reason they had a good start to the season in October, you're just willfully ignoring something to fulfill a narrative. Yeah. Because Murray was great in October. Just absolutely incredible. Like, kept up the momentum from the second half of the season last year into the first round and then into this year. And he just hit a wall. And, you know, I think he gets some <clears throat> some time to, you know, work on it in practice and work on it in morning skates and gets a couple starts in. You know, he played fairly well against Detroit on Saturday. So, I, I just it's there and it's it's a good problem to have when you have all these injuries and really just you know load management's never going to really get to the NHL because it's too long of a season it's too random of a game with the way players get hurt and go on hot and cold streaks it's really going to be hard to you know tell skaters that they have to lessen the load but with goalies it's it's crucial yeah yeah you don't want I mean even when the goalie's playing well, you don't want him to play 70 games. No, and we saw that happen in uh, it was either 16 or 17 when Edmonton made the playoffs last. Oh, yeah. They yeah. started Cam Talbot's either high 60s, low 70s games. And by the time he got to the playoffs, he just he was burned out. He had nothing yeah. left. And that, and that Edmonton team, despite being a typical Edmonton team, not all that deep, like they were still fairly okay for what they were. And a lot of their success was on the fact that Cam Talbot played way out of his mind. But just by the time the playoffs hit and he's, you know, on game 75, he's just, he's got nothing left. Yeah, I ran out of steam. So it's a good problem to have, especially because, you know, once Murray rounds back into form, you know, if you're splitting time 60-40 down the stretch and you got Murray playing well, fresh into the playoffs, there's not much of a substitute for that. Yeah, and with with the way goalies can kind of go hot and cold, by the time Tristan Jari goes ice cold, Matt Murray could be rounding back and finding his game again. Which, if you've watched hockey long enough, you know that's well on its way. All right, so no easy way to transition into this, so let's just get into it. A lot going on with coaches. Yeah, yeah, uh, none of it good. No, and and I wrote about this uh, earlier in the week, uh, last week. Um, it, it's it's strange to me to watch the way people defend this, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, not even just from a hockey culture standpoint, just a life standpoint. If your answer to everything or anything is well that's how we've always done it. You're really setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. That's not the right answer. Like in, and you know what? In, in, in not a defense so much as a criticism of the Mike Babcock, uh, uh, was it Marner or Nylander that he had? Mitch Marner. Uh, the Marner thing where he asked Marner, Hey, rank who you think works the hardest and who doesn't work the hardest. 
as a motivational tool, that's not a horrible thing to do for a young player. Because what you're essentially asking him to do is find a guy who you think is talented and works his ass off and model your game after that. Because with as talented as a guy like Marner is, if he has a work ethic, say, of a guy like Sid, that's only a positive. But the fact that he burned him and basically said, hey, between me and you, who do you think works the hardest? Who do you think doesn't? And then sells him out to the team. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that's, that, that's that's just abusing trust and, and throwing up a power move for for no reason at all. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole thing was very bizarre. And then you have, you know, Bill Peters, who got clearly credibly accused because he never denied it of just saying just some repugnant, <coughs> racist shit <coughs> to Akeem Alou when he was in the minors. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, the thing that, that bothers me about all of this is the way in which we don't fully acknowledge how coaches don't seem to realize or seem to realize and abuse the fact that they know they can completely derail a player's career just for the hell of it. Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, they can arrange for their being sent down just like that. Because, you know, he comes in and treats a guy like shit and people are like, oh, well, you know, you, you got to listen to your coach. And it's like, well, yeah, you do. But all of a sudden, if this guy decides he has a vendetta against you, he can derail your career in the snap of a finger. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well, I didn't like the music he was playing in the locker room. So, you know, I'm not going to play him and then I'm going to tell him that, oh, he's not working hard enough and then I'm going to get on his case and then it's just going to completely screw his career because if you don't sit down and shut up, he just decides, okay, your career's over. Like, you're never going to get a sniff. (coughs) And I just, the, the takes that I have seen, especially, I think, I can't remember who it was, said the thing of like, Oh, some of the hockey people that I have talked to have said that this is terrible. We're going to end up like the NBA. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you mean the, the sport that is globally way more popular than hockey, rakes in millions of dollars, yeah. and is just way more culturally relevant than hockey? Like, oh, you know, the players... You know, they have all kinds of power. Yeah, they're the ones that bring in the money. Like, when the, when, you know, before the Leafs get Matthews and Marner and Nylander and all that, was anybody going, oh, man, the Leafs are in town tonight. I, got, I really got to go watch Babcock coach. Like, yeah, man. I, <laughs> like, yeah, man, I, I really got to, uh, you know, I, I got to buy a ticket to see the Red Wings. Oh, yeah, dude, they got Datsuk, Lidstrom, uh, you know, Zetterberg. No, man, man, I, I, I'm not even going to watch the play on the ice, dude. I'm going to be just fixated on Mike Babcock behind the bench. 
Like, <laughs> like, I care less what happens on the ice, dude. Like, like who cares what happens in the game? I just got to watch that guy scream and yell and look at his notepad every five minutes. Like, it's just, it's riveting shit. <laughs> It's just, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Like, and it's, it's well past time for, for this stuff. Like, like, listen, I go through it now, like on a way lesser, uh, uh, level coaching youth hockey. Like, you know, I, I have battles with people who are like, oh, you got to discipline them. And it's like, guys don't like, we're not talking about pro athletes in the sixties when this is their second job yeah. and you have to say like, Hey, you know, cut out the booze and the cigarettes and get to work. Like they're pro athletes. And they, the other thing that people lose in this discussion is they're so set in the old ways of like, Oh, the co- coach has got to be a hard ass. He's got to be the authoritarian. He's got to, you know, he's got to, he's got to put his fist down and punch a table and, scream and yell until he's blue in the face. This generation of player wants to be coached. They literally are wanting the guy to do his job. Yeah, like you have players who are <coughs> who are smart enough to be coaches on the ice themselves. Exactly. Like here like here's a story that I will tell about the team I'm coaching this year, right? I talked to one of the players after a game that we lost and they were frustrated and he kind of opened my eyes to something. He said, listen, I appreciate that you guys make us work hard. I appreciate that you guys have us battling. I appreciate that you guys are holding us to a high standard, but there's some guys on this team that don't feel like they know where to be, when to be there and how to work within the system we're running. And it caused me to look in the mirror and say, listen, like, yeah, I'm making them skate at the end of practice. Yeah, I'm having them work on battling. I'm working on them skating and all that stuff. I need to do a better job of coaching them. Like, I can whip them into shape. I can teach them how to hit and all that stuff. But if they don't know where to be and when to be there, they are going to they yeah. are going to plateau as hockey players. Yeah. And I think a lot of the new generation of player is that same way. They literally want to be coached. They don't want to be screamed at and have an authority figure. They want a guy who can look at them and go, here's the talent I see that you have. Here's how we maximize it. Not skate harder or I'm going to bench you. Or Yeah, they're already, they're already coming in with these skills that you can't teach. They need what they're looking for is coaching on the stuff that you can teach. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this in the next couple of years and rightfully so. I mean, there there's a fine line between being a being a tough to play for coach, which isn't always a bad thing, and just having open blind spots as a coach and trying to fill those blind spots by being a hard ass. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So with that, I think I'm going to drop the beats. What do you think? Sounds good to me. All right, let's see here. Let's hear from the people. 
I've I've uh, missed the Dying Alive audience the last two weeks. We need some we need some correspondences. Morgan asks eggnog, yay or nay? It's a big nay for me, dog. I am all on board. Yes. I just I, you know I don't even have like a particular reason. I'm just not a huge fan of it. Like I never have been. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, I would say though, uh, very big difference between a batch made yourself and the stuff you buy at the store. Oh, absolutely. I can agree to that. Uh, Kate, uh, Cassie joins the hunt. This isn't Cassie. Says, consider the following. Subway is the best fast food restaurant out there. Uh, I got to disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Got to go. I don't know. I don't know what is, but it ain't Subway. Gun to my head. I got to go Wendy's. I'd have to think about what I would say is the best, but it's definitely not Subway. <laughs> Although su- Subway more, I would I would argue this Subway so more than more so than McDonald's has perfected the McDonald's model of you know exactly what you're getting, what it's going to taste like, and you get that everywhere. Yeah, yeah, every Subway is the same, pretty much. Because I've <laughs> definitely been to a couple McDonald's and been like, this is awful. Uh, let's see. Fragrant, fr- the, 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 the. Flagrant Swag asks to rank fries from best to worst between the five places. Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's, Arby's, and Chick-fil-A. Real tough for one and two because it's a battle between Arby's and Chick-fil-A. I would put Arby's one. I I would probably put McDonald's two and then Chick-fil-A three. And I'm indifferent about Burger King and Wendy's French fries. Uh, I would probably go Arby's one, Chick-fil-A two, Wendy's three, McDonald's four, Burger King five. Burger King fries are so bad. (laughs) I I also had Chick-fil-A this past weekend. It it (laughs) never disappoints. Um, Full Rossi asks if you could pick a winger to realistically target for the trade deadline, who would it be? Well, I think I kind of went over that with Duclair. Yeah. I mean, unless there's somehow a trade market for Taylor Hall, which I don't think there is. You know, I'm coming around to it. I think they could pull it off. I mean, I I think they could pull it off, but I don't think they have the pieces to send the other way that somebody else does. I think the big wild card in in what happens with the Taylor Hall trade is does Ray Shiro want to extend his rebuild a little bit more than he initially expected to? Like make it a few more years longer and just, you know, acknowledge that you have Heesher and Hughes and like, you know, get the find those guys in their stride in four or five years, or do you want to do a rebuild on the fly? Because I think if they want to do an extended one, you suddenly have the Penguins in the in the mix for it. Because you could, you know, he could, you know, you could set up a deal where you send the first round pick over and like Galchenyuk and a prospect, and the Devils look at it as like this is just one of a few trades we're going to make as we tear it down and build around Hughes and Heischer. Or do they want to try to, you know, kind of go on the fly instead of doing four or five years, maybe go two, three? But that's to me the biggest wild card. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> Jeremy asks if Crosby and Malkin weren't on the team, who would you say would be the best pick for captain and why? Probably Latang. Did he say Latang? Uh, no, he just said Crosby and Malkin. Yeah, I mean, you would give it to Latang, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Um, maybe Patrick Hornquist. Mm. See, I don't think he needs it. Like, I like, 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 no, I don't think so either. It's also, it, it's, it's also kind of a tough question to answer because all these players who potentially could be named captain have all joined the team after Crosby and Malkin because they've been here forever. Yeah. I mean, so it's hard, it's hard to picture anyone else. I mean, Latang would definitely be your captain. You'd probably, at this point, Rust would be an alternate or Dumoulin. Yeah, I mean, that, I think I think that's pretty, pretty cut and dry. <coughs> Some combination of Latang, Dumoulin, Rust, Hornquist. Uh, David James asks, "What's your snowy footwear of choice?" Boots. <laughs> I I don't necessarily uh, have a specific shoe to wear in the snow. I mean the thing the thing that killed me working for the nailers in the comets was like game days when it would be snowy and I'd have to like tuck dress pants into boots. Oh yeah. Cause it would be like I'm not trekking like I, I don't wanna go into the rink and do a full change into a suit, but I also know that there's snow everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh Nate asks favorite Christmas movie and least favorite. Uh, hot take, least favorite Christmas movie is A Christmas Story. That movie sucks. I'm indifferent on it. It is so not good. Uh, big fan of The Santa Claus. For favorite, I would say uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Always good. I, I try to I try to not watch that all the time during Christmas so it doesn't lose its novelty because it's... Oh, it never, it never will for me, ever. I, I just know that, like... For me, it's like getting to watch that movie during the Christmas season is like what makes it so good. So, like, if I watch yeah, it, like, I see, I I have a tendency to quote that movie to people year round. Oh, same. But like, you know, you, you watch it two, three times during the Christmas season, and it's phenomenal. But if like you overwatch it, it's like everything else; it just falls falls apart. But yeah, I do love the Santa Claus. I, I love the Santa Claus because it has my favorite uh, '80s and '90s movie trope. To where uh, the quote-unquote antagonist of the movie is not actually a bad person. Like Tim Allen's ex-wife's boyfriend or whatever he is is like, oh, yeah. like an objectively yeah. great dude. Like therapist, has a good job, he's great with, his, with, with the girlfriend and the son. But because he's the, the protagonist's ex-wife's boyfriend, you just hate him. Like, mm -hmm. like objectively, the guy is a phenomenal person, and Tim Allen's character is an awful human. But you hate the good guy. <laughs> I'd also like to shout out uh, Jingle All the Way. Good movie. Jingle All the Way is good, and Home and Home Alone one and two. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. There's more more good than bad. I think. Yeah. <clears throat> um, this is kind of irrelevant. Not irrelevant now, 
Um, but Dwan asks, Tristan Jari has posted shutouts in his last two games. Can someone tell me if this is good? No, it's bad. He, you know, he's wasting them all too early and he wasn't scoring goals either. That's just, that's <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, let's see. P. Turkus asks, is there any case to be made for keeping Gensel with Malkin even after Sid comes back? I mean, it depends on who uh, who they could bring in. It depends on who else gets hurt in the meantime. Yeah, that too. Although, shout out to Andy uh, Perlman burning the sage around uh, yeah. the Paints Arena. Yeah, had had to had to do it. Uh, let's see. To answer, to answer the question, though, like I, I think if they make a trade and get another good winger, I think you can maybe make the case. But at the same time, like. For as as snarky as I am about the Gensel as a product of Crosby thing, like still that connection's electric. Like you don't don't yeah, try. Yeah, don't, even though even even though he's still lighting it up without him in the lineup, it would be crazy not to go back to what you know works. Don't, yeah, don't try to fix what isn't broken. Yeah. Um, Deesh asks, rank the Ninja Turtles from one to four. Uh, the good one, the not so good one, the not as good one, and then that one. I was not a Ninja Turtles guy growing oh, up. Oh, okay. We'll 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 circle back on this one, Jesse's back. Yeah, I, I I wasn't a big Ninja Turtles fan, so I know they're all named <laughs> after. I always think of the uh, the <laughs> the Donald Glover stand up bit when I hear Ninja Turtles, where he's like, he's like, how do you not watch that show as an adult now? And not think it's a homeless man's fever dream. It's like, <laughs> it's like they're all after, they're all named after Renaissance artists, and their father's a huge rat. Get, get the fuck away from me, man! <laughs> I've never seen that, but that's pretty good. Uh, and last question from Laura: What is your favorite kind of cookie? Unrelated, do you guys want the same kind of cookies this year? Uh, to answer the second question, yes, absolutely. Those were so yes. good. Agreed. I mean, I'm. Um, I like peanut butter cookies. Yeah, peanut butter cookies are always good. Snickerdoodle. I like I like the little cookies with the little mini Reese cups in them. Those are great. Snickerdoodles are good. I'm not very picky on cookies. Do the uh, I mean my favorite like like staple cookie is Oreo. Like cannot go wrong with a double stuff Oreo. I'm see I'm not big on that because I'm not that big on chocolate. I would not have guessed that about you. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's fine, but I'm just not. I think it's a bit much. Whereas, like, give me a chocolate. <coughs> the uh, chocolate, chocolate chip cookie, giant eagle frosting, <laughs> frosting and sugar cookies, elite. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, I think that's all I have. All right, you got anything to plug? Anything coming up? Any good pictures? Um, any good shoots? I am plugging something from the past. I was thankfully blessed to be able to cover state championship win for Thomas Jefferson on Thursday last week it was a very fun experience being able to cover a team winning state championship. That had to have been cool. I watched that game live and cut. It was very, it was very cool. Watch that game live, cut highlights for KDK. That was fun. It was, it was especially cool because I covered half their games during the whole season and through the playoffs too. So it wasn't just like a, one-off covering a championship game for a team that I didn't know. 
And they they ran the hell away with that game, dude. Yes, like yes. That, as as they did with every other game this season. That team was a buzzsaw, man. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. A uh, couple things I'd like to shout out and plug. Uh, haven't recorded yet since uh, December tenth as we record this. Uh, shout out to everybody that donated to my Movember fund. Uh, didn't grow that handlebar mustache in vain. Uh, I had an initial goal. I went low for 200. And to all you guys that are listeners, readers of the blog, follow me on Twitter. Uh, four, we ended up with $420. Like, absolutely. Abs- nice. I know, right? Absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, I've said it. Jesse and I have said it. Mike said it. Everybody in our orbit has said it, that mental health's incredibly important. And that was what my cause was for it. So thank you guys so much for that. I, I'm extremely grateful. I uh, also want to give a big shout-out to my team, the 2005 Allegheny Badgers. Uh, last two weeks, unfortunately, we came up short in the Thanksgiving tournament. But, you know, you win six games in a matter of nine days. Nice. Nice. And you travel to Ohio for a tournament and work your absolute asses off, go undefeated, go 2-0-1 in another tournament. Unfortunately, because of tiebreakers, we didn't make the final. But they're getting better each day, and it's filling me with a lot of pride as a coach. So that's a lot of fun to watch. And lastly, uh, I have it on my – I'm – I think it's my pinned tweet. If not, I'll go up after this and make it my pinned tweet. Um, I wrote something on my personal website about the whole shit with Peters and Babcock and hockey culture. Uh, It just, it's something that bothers me as someone that's been around the game my entire life. And I'm glad to see that we're hopefully making a positive change. Yeah. So that's going to do it for this episode of dying alive. Uh, we will hopefully be back next week. Uh, life has been hectic for the three of us lately, but you know we're not done, not not even close. Still got a lot of episodes to come, a lot of ideas in the tank that we're going to get going. So I should get an IV bag sometime between now. And yeah, then. you definitely should. So we'll talk to you guys hopefully next week. Thanks as always for listening, and say goodbye, Mike. See ya. See you guys.